Psalm number 86. Just before we read it, let me try and just orientate us into the Psalms. Many of the Psalms speak about deliverance, how God rescues us or delivers us from a specific situation. But what does that really mean? Well, ultimately, it means His deliverance of us in Christ for our forgiveness, which means deliverance from life without Christ and deliverance ultimately from this world into the new creation. That's the kind of bedrock or the foundation stuff when the Psalms speak about deliverance. But they don't just speak about deliverance from this life. They speak about deliverance in this life, in the Christian life. And all through life, we face difficulties, complexities, guilt, suffering, black days, And the Psalms say to us that the Lord will deliver us, sometimes from them, sometimes. And we mustn't doubt that God can do that. So when we pray with people who are sick, we must not doubt that God can deliver them from their sickness, and sometimes He does. So tonight, a few of us as elders are with somebody whom we have prayed for and in their situation through medical care and help, they have been delivered from the illness they had. It's not medically inexplicable, but it's unusual. But most of the time, God does not deliver us from situations of difficulty. After all, the very nature of living in this world is a world that ultimately we will be taken from, and deliverance will only come when we're out of this world. We'll always be living in a world where there are shadows and black days and tough stuff and guilt and doubt and temptation, and sorrow, and tears, and all of that stuff. And God doesn't promise in the Psalms to deliver us habitually from that. His promise is to deliver us in it, while in it, through in it. And that's what most of the Psalms are there to teach us. And this Psalm 86 is a wonderful example of that. Let me read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll study it together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. 
Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any words like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered me, my soul, from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor and those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Well, it's a lively Sunday club next door. But let's never, it's a bit like the weather. We mustn't complain when it's too warm. And we must never complain at the sound of children in church. So let's pray for God's help. Lord Jesus, we love to hear the noise of the children. We pray that they would be a little quieter though. But we do love to hear the noise of the children. And we know, Lord, that they will grow up and experience many troubled days like this Sam. And we pray that we would teach them what it is that they need to call on in troubled days, who it is. Help us this morning. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Give us resources for life from this wonderful psalm. Help us not to be glib, but to be as real as the Word of God is real, and to let your Word invade the deepest depths and the darkest places in our lives, now, in the past, and in the future. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it that Christians find such comfort from the Psalms? Why is it that when you go into uh, a Christian bookshop and you buy one of these little uh, pictures with a Bible text on it, that habitually it will be from the Psalms? I think because they describe real life experience as believers. They don't simply teach the gospel they teach the gospel in the context of real life. One of the most persuasive things about the Christian faith 
is that it is at its most articulate. And the Bible is at its most articulate, not in terms of causing us to escape from life, but in the very heart of real life. Troubled days, and this is a psalm expressing angst in troubled days. Verse 1, incline your ear to me, for I am poor and needy. Verse 7, the heart of the psalm in the day of my trouble. Verse 14, O God, insolent men have risen against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Now, we could speculate as to exactly what circumstances in David's life. David is the writer of the psalm, King David. He is referring to what is the day of my trouble. It is perhaps the conspiracy led by his son Absalom to kill him. I mean, just we know the story, many of us, of that, but just imagine the angst in his heart as his son plots to kill him. Now, a tiny reflection of that might be that the estrangement of a father to a son. Or is David reflecting on his experience as a fugitive on the run from Saul? Or is it that David is conscious of the fact that the circumstances he is facing are a consequence of his own sin? That he's in this state of mind or circumstance because of his sin. And so many different circumstances might cause us to pray in this way, O Lord, in my day of trouble, help me. It might be that some of you are facing trouble or hostility or criticism or opposition in your life that is unjust because you are a believer, because of some honesty in your situation, whether work or in other ways, about God. It might be that you are experiencing a deep sense of guilt because of something you have done. I often think that the summer holidays are risky times for Christians. Oftentimes in the summer holidays, the sins, the kind of level two volume sins that you just haven't shaken off for years, go up to level three or level four when you're out of the rhythm of church life and ministry. And maybe you, if you are honest in your own heart, are experiencing a sense of guilt. Undealt with sin. And you're in trouble in your heart. Maybe it's an uncertain future, work and health and life-threatening illness. In any church at any one time of any moderate size, there is someone who is dealing with life-threatening illness, as indeed we all are. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe some of our young people will be disappointed this week with their exam results. What do we say to them as parents? Or maybe as Sam prayed, it's always heartening when someone prays what you've written down. You might think there's a conspiracy at foot. Or maybe it's just being worn out 
or worn down. The day of my trouble. Now, you'll see on the sheet um, some headings. I'm always conscious of dissecting a psalm into a kind of sausage machine and out comes a three-point sermon. And I think King David will have something to say about that when we meet him one day. But there is a rhythm in the psalm, a little bit like a rhythm when you sing a psalm. That song we sang when Peace Like a River is a marvelous song. It begins with conversion, ends with the new creation. And in the middle is the cross. For my sin, not in whole, not in part, but the whole is nailed. And there's a rhythm in the psalm. Look how it begins and ends. The beginning might be how you are now, or how you were 15 minutes ago, or how you were when you got up this morning. I incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. That sense of I am in a troubled time. And the end of the psalm, verse 17, You, Lord, have helped me. And you've comforted me. I am poor and needy. Help me. The end of the psalm, you have helped me and comforted me. What has changed between the beginning and the end of the psalm? Let me just illustrate it with this group of people. If you are finding yourself in a day of trouble in your life, almost certainly, from the moment we picked up this psalm, and read it 10 minutes ago, the trouble that you were in hasn't gone. It's impossible. You're still facing all that stuff. So how can you go in the space of these 20 minutes or so? You're all thinking, 20 minutes, no chance. (laughs) How can you go from, I am poor and needy, I am in trouble, To you have helped me. Because God's primary means of speaking to his people is when the people gather and the word of God is proclaimed and the Spirit takes his sword that is the word and moves you spiritually, supernaturally from this way of thinking and experiencing and feeling about your circumstances to this. Now, I cannot, with a whole set of neat arguments, persuade you to shift from I am in trouble, I am poor and needy, to you have helped me and comforted you. How that will happen is supernaturally by the Spirit of God. Faith, Christian faith, will be in this room proved to be real again. So what is going to happen to us in these minutes together, if we are willing, if we put our confidence in the Lord in the day of our trouble, we will leave the church this morning with something of a different, now the word that most of the commentaries use is attitude, that's too tough, it's too forensic, we'll just be different in our hearts, in our minds, or a little bit. Now, the psalm begins 1 to 7, praying to God in times of trouble, conscious of our need. Praying to God in times of trouble, conscious of our need. 
the first thing for us to see, I think, is very simple, that in his time of trouble, David prays. Now, he may, of course, have taken some time to get to that point when he prays. I suspect David was like the rest of us. He would find himself wrestling in his trouble, and he would not habitually have gone to prayer, perhaps as quickly as we think he would have. When I was in Ireland in the summer at the Keswick event, I kept quoting old hymns, and somebody said to me, do you know any modern hymns? (laughs) It's like one of these moments of feeling very old, because I thought they were modern. (laughs) (laughs) Graham Kendrick isn't modern, apparently. Here's an oldie, but the oldies are not the best, that's kind of an old man speaking, but the modern or old, the best hymns are brilliant. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And here, one of the, the truest things ever said in song. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. Just because or all because we do not pray. That's not sentiment. It's absolutely true. If one of your children has something on their mind, those of you with children will know this, what you want them to do is tell you. If one of God's children has something on his mind, and yes, God is omniscient and knows what is on our mind, but let's not rob the Bible of what it says to us to do. God wants us, delights when we tell him. So when we tell God what's on our mind, we tell God about the trouble we are in, God knows that we know that we want to tell him. So if you're finding yourself in a day of trouble, have you prayed like this? Maybe the take-home application of this this afternoon is you'll go home and pray. Notice how he prays. He pours out his heart to his God with an honesty that reflects the true believer's intimate, dependent relationship with God. It's very striking how he prays. Verse 1, incline your ear, O God, and answer me. I mean, that's quite bold, isn't it? Incline your ear, O God, and answer me. Preserve my life. Save yourself. Be gracious to me, O Lord, gladden the soul of your servant. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea. Verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Me, me, me. We don't teach our children that, do we? But God teaches his children that. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. Is it okay to pray like that? Yes, it is. But notice in the way that David prays, each reason, each request rather, is grounded in a reason. Now, this is where God will move from your heart, knowing that in the psalm he is getting a grip of your heart to encourage you to your mind. He wants to, he wants to, 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 to give us reasons that our requests will be heard and answered. So, look at request and reason. Request, one, verse one, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. Reason, for I am poor and needy. The reason, David prays, is because he believes that God is not indifferent to the fact that he is poor and needy. I am poor and needy. To whom does God incline his ear and help? Those who are poor and in need. 
Request and reason two, verse two. The request, preserve my life. Save your servant. The reasons, preserve my life, for I am godly. Literally, for I am devoted to you. I am one of yours. Preserve my life, because I have trusted you with my life. Save your servant, who trusts in you. You are my God. Request and reason. Request, verse 4, gladden the soul of your servant, or bring joy to your servant. The reason that... uh, uh, request, the, the reason it is grounded in, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. David's point that even in the midst of his suffering, he can ask for and experience joy in the Lord, because he knows that whatever his circumstances, his relationship with the Lord is secure. It's what we just sung. When peace like a river attends all my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, here's another old day that's making a comeback. Though Satan should buffet, if trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. You see how these hymns go from our experience, engage our minds and our hearts, and find their way to the deep-rooted assurance we have in Christ. Request, verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, listen to my plea for grace, is grounded in the reason of verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Now, I'm sure... um, (laughs) I'm thinking of faith healing ministries at the moment. You know, the televangelists, when they say there's somebody over there with a sore elbow, almost certainly there always is, especially if there's 20,000 people. But let's never, ever think that God cannot heal and maybe doing so now. God is forgiving. And the healing I suspect that might well be going on now in this room is, is the healing of guilt. Guilt's a terrible thing. Guilt is something the devil just uses and twists. It's a thorn in our flesh. Sin that we know is forgiven, but, but guilt is something that the gospel overcomes. So I suspect that here there will be people who just do stuff in the week that if the rest of you knew, you'd be shocked. And you feel guilty or bleak or black or dirty. And God says to you, look, I am a forgiving God. I'm a forgiving God. Why have you not prayed to me about that? And then finally, verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. Why? The reason for you answer me. Isn't that great? It's really simple, isn't it? The day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. Every time you pray to God, he will answer. Every time you pray, he will listen. 
praying to God in trouble, conscious of our need. Now, that's the, the first bit of the psalm, the first chunk of the psalm. And it, it's, a, it's, it's true how, how rarely we get there in our time of trouble, the, the habitual need to pray, the habitual need to pray. Very often when I meet people and, and chat with them or, or talk to them or, or listen to them, they begin to tell me as their pastor stuff that they have been anxious about or troubled about for months. And I say to them, who have you spoken to? Now, immediately, our default when we ask that question is, why haven't you spoken to me or why haven't you spoken to somebody else? But that is not the first answer to their question. Have you, who have you spoken? Have you spoken to God? Have you spoken to God? Have you spoken to God? Me, me, me. Tell him what's on your heart. And ground your requests with the multiple reasons that are grounded in the promises of God. He will hear you. He loves you. He will forgive you. He will take away your guilt. He will give you grace. Two, intentionally praising God, remembering his sovereignty. Every one of the Psalms kind of halfway through, they, they kind of get a grip of themselves, the believers, and they, they kind of go, okay then, let's have a bit of Let's turn, let's, let's turn our minds and our hearts and our eyes away from me and my troubles to God. It's what Sundays do for us, why it's good to meet together. Because we sing and our minds are taken away from our present circumstances to God. It's a little otherworldly when we meet together on a Sunday and so it should be. So it should be. Verses 8 to 13, David is intentionally praising God. The word intentionally is because he doesn't feel like it, I don't think. I mean, I don't think many of us, when we're really struggling, feel like it. Now, you may not have felt like going to church this morning. Let me uh, reassure you, if you are feeling in that godless way, that ministers often don't feel like going to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, there are reasons you don't feel like going to church, because you're out of sorts with God. That's one, or the church is dire. Or you're just too sad and you think everyone else is sorted. And the devil will do his best to affirm you in your view and keep you away. But David intentionally kind of makes himself praise God through gritted teeth. And in praising God... David gets some perspective on the situation he is facing. And very often in the Psalms, and this is no exception, he praises God by reflecting on the sovereignty of God. And when you reflect on the sovereignty of God, you get some perspective on your situation. And the best way to see this in the Psalm is three ways. Firstly, let me just... David refers to, 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 to God lots of times in the Psalms. And he uses two words. He uses uh, the word Lord. You'll see it in your translations, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. For example, verses 1, 11, 17. That, that's Yahweh, the faithful covenant God. But the dominant word that David uses for the Lord in the psalm is Adonai. That's signaled in the text by a capital L followed by the lowercase for the rest of the word. And the word Adonai means master, sovereign, trustworthy one. 
So this is what David is saying in the heart of the psalm as he gears his mind up to get confidence for the circumstances he is facing. Let me read it to you in, in, uh, in, in, in the, the Hebrew. Yahweh, Adonai, 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 Yahweh, Adonai, Adonai, Yahweh. That's the rhythm of the psalm. Strong, sovereign, omnipotent God, faithful God. Strong, sovereign, omnipotent, majestic, holy, awesome God, faithful covenant God. He goes up to this transcendent level and then down to this imminent personal level. And transcendence without imminence or the majestic nature of God without the intimate covenant God is harsh. And the covenant intimate nature of God without the transcendent God is not going to give us nearly so much confidence and assurance. Now, David reflects in verses 8, 9, and 10 on God's sovereignty in the world in general, as Sam has prayed. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now, when you're preaching that, you can almost see the text up on the screen and me with a pointer saying, look, in verses 8, 9, and 10, David, the psalmist, is causing us to reflect on God's sovereignty in the world. But that's true. But just in your own heart, sing these words. As you sit here in your day of trouble, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord. All the nations you have made shall come and worship you. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And the sovereign God is the God that overarches the world and your circumstances. And then if verses 8 and 9 and 10 reflect on God's sovereignty in the world, then in verses 11 to 13, David applies that to his own life. For great is your steadfast love toward me, verse 13. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David is referring here not to his deliverance from some situation or day of trouble, but like all of the Psalms, he is speaking about that ultimate deliverance from death. And what David saw dimly and believed in with all his heart, we see clearly because Jesus Christ has come. The question is, do we believe this with all our hearts? Jesus came and died that our sins might be forgiven. You know that every sermon jumps to Jesus somewhere, doesn't it? Of course we have to. Because however much confidence we have in God, that he will deliver us in the vagaries of life, the greatest confidence we have is because he has delivered us from sin and judgment to forgiveness and eternal life. The greatest confidence we have is that Christ has died for our sins. The greatest confidence we have is that we will be released from this world to the new creation. Now, this is where David's heart is getting to, verse 11. Things are changing a bit. Now, I suspect for many of you, you know, as a preacher, you kind of think that, okay, by the end of this psalm, we're all going to go, we're all going to be singing hymns all the way home because we've got a fresh perspective on life. That's not going to happen, is it? What there will be maybe is little shafts of light. See how he's changed to verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. 
almost like you can see the tears on his face in the middle of his pain. Teach me your way, O Lord. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And he's still in his pain. Praying to God in a time of trouble, conscious of our need, we need to pray intentionally praising God and remembering His sovereignty. You know, we've got to engage our minds with who God is. And then finally, verses 14 to 17, praying to God in a time of trouble. It's the same heading, but not now conscious of God's help and comfort. Not conscious of our need, rather conscious of God's help and comfort. It's a resolution. The circumstances are the same. Your circumstances are the same as 20 minutes ago. There is no lessening as yet. He is still up against it. But even as he prays, reflecting on the sovereignty of God over his life, his attitude, his sense of them, his feelings, his heart has changed. Let me show you from the text, verse 14. David restates the trouble once again. Men have risen up against me. Verse 15. But you, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he goes on to echo what he has said earlier in the psalm, but is feelings towards his circumstances has changed. His confidence in his God is restored and fortified. He asks for strength, verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. David wants God to deliver him from the situation of difficulty he is in, but is aware that God may not do that, at least for a time, and so he asks for strength. The first half of verse 17, David asks for a sign of God's goodness, a sign of God's care for him. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. But the greatest contrast is how David ends his prayer, his song. Verse 17 again, you, O Lord, have helped me and you have comforted me. Now, let me wrap this up for us. Whatever it is that you are facing or experiencing, many days will begin with us saying, in the day of my trouble. Maybe it's guilt or doubt or regret or worry or anxiety, or all of the above, often. Pray to God. And don't be afraid to use the word me. Reflect on the sovereignty of God. His Sovereignty over every nation. 
reflect on the loving covenant of God to you. And allow the Holy Spirit to shift you gently from Hear, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. Help me. Two, O Lord, you have helped me. You have comforted me. Now, let me finish in an unusual way. What if that doesn't happen? Well, it's a battle for us all, all the time. But if it isn't happening, even to a tiny way now, and I would have the confidence that if you are a Christian, it will be happening to a degree. It must be. Because God's not going to bring you here to kind of taunt you. God's not going to bring you here as a child and urge you over the course of this sermon to unload your heart to him and then, as your loving Heavenly Father, not bother to listen. So if this is over your heads, you'd love it to be the case. And even if your issues and illnesses are stuff like depression, the blackest of black dogs in people's lives, there will even in that be shafts of light engaging with your mind. You won't feel anything. It's a myth that Christianity is about what I feel. It's about what I know. And notice the psalm goes, no, feel, no, feel, all the way through. If it's way over your heads, then probably you don't know Jesus. That ultimate deliverance is still elusive to you. You don't know Jesus. You're not comfortable with using the word Jesus, my Savior. You can know him anytime. And when you know him, you know forgiveness. You know what it means to sing, it is well with my soul, because your soul is with God. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this marvelous psalm. A psalm of real life in all of its depth and pain and sorrow and struggle. A psalm that surely we have all sung in the day of my trouble, will you help me? Help us to pray in our troubled days. Help us to unburden how we really feel with honesty. And Lord, lead us in our pain and sorrow to praise you, to keep coming to church, to keep reading our Bibles and praying, even through gritted teeth. Reflecting on your majesty and your covenant love. Sovereign Lord, 
covenant God. And may, Lord, when you teach us in our minds, may our lives resolve whatever the trouble we are in to a deeper confidence and assurance in you as our Heavenly Father. We pray that, Lord, for all of us in this room. We pray it for the children who have quietened down. For they will face many days of trouble in their lives. May they turn to Jesus in their trouble and find therein solace and comfort and hope. And Lord, if this is elusive to us, Lead us by your Spirit to Jesus, to trust him, to lay hold of his cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to find life in him, life eternal, that we might be able to sing, whatever I face, my soul is safe. Lord, bless our conversations afterwards today. Help us to greet each other in the Lord. Help us to speak to people perhaps we don't know. And we pray that over the course of the rest of today, we would think on these things, perhaps go home and pray, perhaps deal with some guilt, allow you to allow the promise of forgiveness actually to come true and move us on. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.